Heavenly Father, we pray that you may, through your Holy Spirit's work, take your word, which is eternal, which is alive, which is true, and that you may apply it to our hearts, that we might hear you, and that we might respond to you as is appropriate and fitting in light of what you're seeking to impress upon us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. To revive. It means to make something or someone strong or healthy or active again. It means to reinvigorate, to reactivate. Some of us look to... I guess every morning we look to caffeine to somehow bring us into full functioning awareness and ability. Some of us find merely just being recharged with a good night of sleep is what we need. But I want to ask the question this morning, what can help us be revived spiritually? There's no supplement we can take. There's no chemical that we can somehow imbibe or somehow bring into our being that will infuse in our souls some sort of bringing us to full capacity, spiritually speaking, so that we might have full energy for Christ and for his kingdom. Only God can revive our hearts. Only God can bring true spiritual refreshment to our souls. And God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to fill our hearts with himself. He wants to set us free from every unholy passion that we might be truly spiritually revived and renewed. Now, I think it's fair to say, and I think you know this too, that spiritual renewal does not come like in three or four easy steps, like when you're making instant oatmeal in the morning. You know, it has directions. Open the container, pour the oatmeal in a bowl, add boiling water, uh, stir, eat and enjoy. You know, it's like, okay, I can do that even though I'm half asleep in the morning. But that's not what it means. That's not how spiritual renewal comes. It involves humbling ourselves before God. It involves being honest with God, of repenting from any and all known sin. It means opening up all the dimensions of our lives and before him, laying those open before him in his presence. You see, true spiritual renewal must impact our hearts. It's not just some sort of adding some religious regiment to our life or adding some sort of ritual to our busy lives. That's not what it means. And as we've talked about some of these elements these last number of weeks, perhaps some of us are get to the point where we feel somewhat overwhelmed and we say to ourselves, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to really live this holy life. There's a lot to it. Well, I want to give us some good news today. I want us to balance out some of the, the, some of the heavy things that we've looked at the very sobering kind of uh, topics. And I want us just to remind us today that God himself provides the help that we need. God's help is available. It's accessible to all who will humbly seek him for it. God doesn't just say to us, 
try harder and harder or just do more and more. Nope. What God wants us to do is to consider this encouraging reality that he himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells every true child of God. And that having the Holy Spirit within us, if we are truly a child of God, that Holy Spirit empowers us, he guides us, he illumines us, he reassures us, he helps us to enjoy God and to live a life that pleases him. It's not just, we're not just out on our own here when it comes to the spiritual life. God's spirit is so vital in this area of spiritual renewal. And so I want us to visit some familiar verses or revisit, I guess you'd say, some verses that I'm sure a number of us are familiar with and see if we can understand what it means to avail ourselves of God's help through his Holy Spirit. Look in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, if you will, the fifth chapter of Ephesians. It's page 1393 in your pew Bible, page 1393, Ephesians 5. And here you'll, I think we'll boil it down this morning. There's two elements of spirit-controlled living are found in this text. Beginning in verse 15, therefore be careful how you live or how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even our Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so this morning, I think we're going to find, just to summarize the main points of what he's saying here in this text, is that a spirit-controlled life involves the fundamentals, understanding the fundamentals uh, so we're going to look at understanding the basic essence of what he's saying there about spirit-controlled living. And then we're going to look at the fruit of spirit-controlled living. First of all, the fundamentals. God is calling us, if you look at verse 15, to live in a new way. He calls us to live wisely, to live according to the will of God. And rather than living a life that's dominated by or under the control of alcohol, or uh, some sort of drug that's being misused, God calls us to be a people who live under the control of his Holy Spirit. He contrasts the idea of living under the control of alcohol to excess, that is to be drunk. Drunkenness affects every area of life. It would affect one's job performance. It affects one's family relationships, believe me, in a very negative way. It affects one's driving if one is behind the wheel of an automobile. It affects your social life. It affects almost your health. It affects all sorts of things. And the scriptures make clear that the result of a life that's dominated by the misuse of alcohol or drugs leads to, look at verse 18, it leads to that which is called dissipation. Dissipation. 
Another translation would be, it leads to utter ruin, unrestrained behavior, recklessness. And so many unbelievers in the time of Paul, when he was writing this particular letter, he was reminding them, of course, what they knew to be true, and that is it was widely practiced among them, among the Romans, that they would worship Bacchus, who was the god of wine, the god of intoxication. And when they would yield their lives to this god and imbibe and drink to excess, they obviously began to exhibit some of the more baser instincts of their lives. They saw the worst part of themselves coming out. And Paul says, listen, the opposite is what the true believer should be pursuing. A true believer instead should bring every area of our life under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 18, a more accurate rendering of this particular exhortation, instead of be filled with the Spirit, a better way to say it would be keep on letting the Holy Spirit fill you. Keep on letting the Holy Spirit fill you fill you. It's a present tense, that is, it continues on, and it has a sense of being a passive voice. In other words, someone is, is having an impact on you. He's not referring to a one-time event. He's not talking about, go back to the first moment of the beginning of your Christian life or experience. No, he's calling for a continuous, something that goes on and on and on, yielding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? How do, how do we do this? Uh, what's going to happen if we yield to the Spirit's control or submit to God's Holy Spirit? That's what I want to unpack just in the brief moments we have uh, uh, through this message. And I want to do so by looking at a couple of additional texts of Scripture to try to just see if that can help add some clarity to this. Uh, turn to your, in your Bible to John 7. We'll come back to Ephesians. You can keep your finger there. Or you can skip over with your pad and just uh, quickly skip over to another text. John 7, verse 37. And by the way, Scripture is the best interpreter of the Scripture. So using other Scripture to help clarify something that may not seem so clear will obviously help us. Page 1271, your Pew Bible, John 7, we have a situation where Jesus, at the time he spoke this, was addressing a large crowd of people in Jerusalem, gathered there for one of the three pilgrimage feasts that the Jews would observe. This one happens to be the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Jews of that day were reliving God's faithfulness. and They were celebrating the faithfulness of God to them, and they made that very long trip, 40 years in the wilderness, and God saw them through that. And during that time, they were always on the move, living in tents, temporary shelters that they could pick up and move further. And so they would create these little tents and uh, remember what God did. And so look what Jesus says in verse 37 of John 7. Mind you, a desert is what? A place where there's not much water. He says, if any person is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And then notice what he says. But this he spoke of the Spirit. Now he talks here about a thirsty traveler. 
someone whose mouth is dry and whose mouth is parched. That represents, I believe, a person who is separated to some degree from Christ. The thirsty land here under the ravages of a drought would represent secular society, a society in which Christ has been completely removed from that society. And those people tend to be dissatisfied and thirsty. And Jesus equates drinking with believing in him. Did you notice that? Let him come to me and drink, and he who believes in me will have this flowing of the living water from within. The idea that Jesus is saying is that we're to keep on coming to Christ, to keep on believing in him. And the result will be rivers of living water quenching our thirst. And the Holy Spirit is to bring about in us the satisfaction, the sense of delight, the sense of refreshment for our souls that is to be found in believing in Christ. Jesus gave his children the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might not be famished, so that we won't be parched, feeling like our souls are just drying up. The Spirit points us to Christ, to all that he is to us in the gospel. And the Spirit of God points to us the truth and he, he exposes the lies of the evil one and trying to help us understand and think the truth and understand the truth, believe the truth. And the Spirit reminds us again and again of the greatness of God's love. It is the Spirit who reminds us, he's called the Spirit of adoption. He reminds us of the security that we gain when we are adopted as children of God. Oh, that love will never be taken away from us if we are truly trusting in Christ and have repented of our sins. Not about you, but uh, whenever I exercise or when I go to the gym, I always take a, a rather large bottle of water because when I'm physically active, invariably I get thirsty, right? You're the same way. And every time I'm thirsty, what do I do? I drink from that bottle of water. Clearly, our souls become thirsty they become parched. Like the times that we forget what Jesus has done for us. Like those times when our spirits are thirsting, thirsting for true satisfaction, and, and instead of relying on Christ, we begin to rely on the idols of our hearts. Somehow thinking that that is going to somehow quench our spiritual thirst. But it never works. Other times our hearts are longing for refreshment and the Spirit of God reminds us that Jesus is with us. Jesus is for us and Jesus is in us. It is the Spirit of God that really does continually give us refreshment by pointing us to Christ. And all of the amount of effort and time and energy you can invest in self-reformation, becoming a better person, will never satisfy Never quench your thirst. Our relationships with other people are never going to fully satisfy us like Christ will. Our material possessions are never fully going to satisfy us like Christ will. It's the Spirit of God given to every true believer. to continue, He continually points us to the true source of satisfaction. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm not sure I have the Holy Spirit. I don't feel like I have any kind of sense of, of satisfaction 
and feeling like I'm a whole and a, a complete person. My friend, do you know that you can receive the, the, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a gift, just like eternal life is given to you as a gift. For those who come to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need new life. Make me your child. I receive Christ as my Savior. I, I trust in him. And then turn from your sins. And you can gain the gift of the Holy Spirit, who then begins to change you from the inside out. The Spirit of God will always lead God's children to the true source, the true fountain of refreshment, Jesus Christ. It is essential that we follow the Spirit's leading then. And that's what Paul's trying to encourage us to do in this text. It is the Spirit who will guide us into the grace and the love and the truth of Christ. Now, I just want to take another passage real quickly here and show you another comparison, and that is in Colossians 3.16. So if you'll turn there just for a second, Colossians 3.16, page 1402. Just a little bit to the right or just going beyond where we were there in, Ephesus, in Ephesians. I just want to show that there's another provision that God has for his children we long for his help. We long for his assistance. We, knew, we know we need help. And so Paul says, listen, it's important that you have the word of Christ dwelling in your hearts richly. The word of Christ, the word about Christ dwelling in your hearts richly. Let it be at home in your hearts. I think what he's saying here, if you look Beyond that one phrase there in verse 16, you'll notice that what happens and follows there is going to almost mirror identically what follows in Ephesians chapter 5, 18 and following, which would indicate to me that being under the control of God's Spirit is another way of saying that we need to be under the control of the Word of God. That is, the Spirit of God will always lead us into truth. And the way he does that is to is to fill our minds and to have us being led by and understand and being following the teaching of the Word of God, which is like a compass, the compass that always points us to true north. It helps us point out what's true and always true and will never change. It is the, indeed that which is absolute truth. It is the Word of God that restores our souls. It is the Word of God that makes us wise it's the Word of God that fills our hearts with joy. You say, well, why don't I have more joy in my life? Well, what do you think about mostly during the day? What's preoccupying your mind and your heart? Is it the Word of God pointing us to Christ? It's the Word of God that enlightens the eyes of our hearts. Now, I know this analogy breaks down if you push it to an extreme, so bear with me here. I understand that there's no GPS that works 100% accurately because roads are always changing. And so we understand, we've heard some nightmare stories about GPSs that don't work. But uh, if you have a GPS on your phone or in your car, it's amazing what technology can help you navigate around roads you've never been on before. You don't even know where you're going and that thing can direct you if you're given a destination and point where you want to go. Now, I can, I'm old enough to remember trying to drive without a GPS, right? We were told you have to go somewhere new. 
you have to study the map and try to remember, oh yeah, I'm looking for this street, I'm looking for that street, I'm looking for this. You're just trying to make sense of it. You can't look at a map while you're driving, so you'd have to pull over, look at the map, all those kind of things. I don't know if you remember those days, but it wasn't that long ago. But if think about it, if we understand the function of a GPS, think about it now in the realm of a spiritual GPS. If the Word of God is in our thoughts and in our minds, if we're familiar with what God has taught us, we're reading it, we're thinking about it deeply, we're meditating upon it, we're beginning to sort of chew on it and go over it in our minds over and over again, realizing who we are in Christ, realizing what Christ has done for us, realizing how wonderful God is in all of his being and all of his, his actions, then God is not leaving us just to somehow fend for ourselves in everyday life. His word is guiding us. His word is giving us directives. It is helping us. We say there's caution. Don't turn that way. Indeed, it helps us from stumbling and trying to figure out what his will is. His, his word reveals his will. It helps the spirit of God as we follow the spirit's leading. He's going to help us in surrendering every area of our life, whether it's our thought life, our actions, our attitudes. Submit that to the spirit. Let the truth of God begin to help you understand what God is trying to teach you. Whatever your situation is in life, yield to the Spirit of God. You say, well, I'm here and I've, I've had such a, a difficult time in my life. Yield to the Spirit of God. People have forsaken me. People have, have done things that have hurt me. Yield to the Spirit of God. I'm in a difficult time in life because I've suffered great loss. Yield to the Spirit of God. Because what's he doing? He's going to point you to our sufficient Savior. He's going to remind you that it's not just up to you. He's reminding you of the bigger picture that Christ is at work. And so you might be asking yourself, well, how am I going to know if I'm really letting the Holy Spirit fill me? How do I really know if I'm under the spirit of control, I'm under the control of the Word of God? How's that going to be evident in my life? Am I going to be a person who somehow just daydreams all day? No, look at, there are three, I think he gives us three helpful outward fruit of the spirit-controlled living. That's point number two. In the, Colossians, in the Ephesians chapter 5 passage, we find the fruit of spirit-controlled living. Some people think that the fruit of spirit-controlled living, they look for things like miraculous phenomena. You know, somehow you ought to be able to almost like walk on water. Or some people think, well, it must be able to, you're, you must be able to be speaking in unintelligible language. Or that you must be able to uh, have uncontrollable laughter. There was some movement years ago in Toronto, some really bizarre group that uh, was teaching that you know that you're really under the control of, of the Holy Spirit when you're laughing uncontrollably and making animal sounds. I'm not making this stuff up. I assure you it's none of those things. The fruit of spirit-controlled living does not mention in this text. Do you find anywhere in this text, in the latter part of Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, let me get that on the right page here. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even our Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. 
Do you hear any mention of those kinds of phenomena? Not at all. There's no mention of these kinds of feats of power or making predictions about the future. The outward fruit of the Spirit is controlled living rather than, in some ways it seems rather ordinary, because look at what he says there. He's talking about, well, first of all, he mentions dynamic corporate worship. That's my way of summarizing what it is. Dynamic corporate worship. You see, one evidence that a spirit control believer is really being led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God is when that person gathers with other believers to edify each other while celebrating the wonders of salvation using these Christ-honoring, doctrinally sound songs. You see, the Holy Spirit wants every child of God to unite with other brothers and sisters of like precious faith, to unite their voices together in affirming God's worthiness. Corporate worship helps us to get the spotlight off of ourselves, off of, a, 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 you know, thinking about us all the time, thinking about everything that has to do with me, 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 me. It helps us get the spotlight onto Christ. And that's what corporate worship is designed to do. And isn't that true? Sometimes you come in and you've been thinking about yourself and all the things that are, have happened this week. It's been lousy. It's been, you don't feel well. But when you come to church, it's amazing how when you join your voice with other believers, you stop thinking about all those things. You're thinking about something else. Now, it's true that a person could potentially come in as an unbeliever and sit and sit and participate in singing songs and gather with other people in corporate worship. But would you notice what Paul adds to the comment there in verse 19? He talks about the fact that this kind of singing is to be the overflow of hearts that are making melody of the Lord. That is such an interesting phrase. What he's saying here is that worship is not some sort of spectator sport. It is not like going to some sort of stage performance where you buy a ticket, you sit in the seat, and you watch all these people do amazing, um, you know, wear all these fancy costumes and sing these amazing songs and they do all this performance and say all these lines and then you sit passively back and just take it all in. No, what he's saying is that worship is encountering in an active way the true and living God, and that you reaffirm, you review biblical truth that's been put into music, and that is the thing that is the occupying of your mind, and you are personally engaged in that. I brought you with me this morning one of these. Now, some of you have maybe never had an opportunity to play one of these, but this is a harmonica. And essentially it has a certain number of pieces to it. It has a, what they call a comb, which is the piece here. It's the middle piece of made out of wood. And it's got on either side a cover on both sides. Uh, it's got holes, about 10 holes in the top. And it also has uh, two different sets of these brass plates. And the plates are made in such a way that they have like uh, little tiny cutouts where there are blades, I call them of differing length, some shorter down to some longer and then some shorter. 
and each one's different length. And when you put breathe air into this instrument, the air passes over those little blades, causes them to vibrate. And you could cause these things to vibrate probably if you go like that. But I didn't hear anything, did you? But if you put air and blow it across here, this is what you hear. If you inhale, it has different notes it'll play. Now what causes that to bring about the melody? It comes because the air from the player is now passing over those blades, causing it to vibrate, making those sounds. Now what's my point here? The point is you'd probably want to hear me play a good song in a harmonica. I can't. <laughs> I do not play a harmonica. In some ways, though, I just did play a harmonica, didn't I? And I was right on key, too. But the point here is what? It's the Holy Spirit. It must take truth. The truth about God, he applies it to our hearts. And as he is blowing his influence in us, in our hearts, our hearts are seeing, yes, God, you are good. You are good. You are, you are great. You are full of love and mercy and kindness toward me. He causes our hearts to, to have a melody that we then sing to God, causing them to realize God is so wonderful to me. You can't help but participate. You can't help but sing. And I find it interesting that in the context of what the Spirit of God does, He not only helps us in, in realizing and celebrating God and getting attention back onto God and off of ourselves, He also does it in the context of other believers, reminding us that we are not alone in the challenges and the struggles and the ups and downs of following Christ. Every soldier that undergoes intensive training much of which of that training is not only just physical conditioning, but it's also what? Building cohesiveness as a unit. Understanding that I am not just a soldier, I am a soldier, a part of a platoon, a part of a, a particular group or unit. And military leaders know that a soldier is not as likely to succeed if he or she is engaged in the enemy alone separated from their unit. And obviously the Holy Spirit knows how vital that is. And so he leads the people of God into so many blessings and benefits of corporate worship where we are together. We're reminded, I'm not here dealing this on my own. I've got other people who are similarly on the same pilgrimage with me. And they help me and, and help me focus my attention back onto God and onto the gospel. Instead of seeking to be a God and wanting to have her own will done, the Holy Spirit leads the God's people to join with other sinners who are saved by grace and therefore to make much of God, to make much of his wondrous salvation. Salvation in the past, present, and thank God the future that's yet to be revealed. So the idea of a being a spirit-filled life is something that happens corporately among us that involves heartfelt dynamic worship. Second outward fruit of the Spirit-controlled living, and this is so practical, is the attitude of gratitude. 
Well, he says there, verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. One of the things that happens in life is that pride tends to distort our perception. Pride in our hearts causes us to assume that we deserve nothing but good to happen in our lives. And that we think that we know how life should always work out best according to what we think it ought to be. And when life doesn't seem to work that way, we're tempted to, at that moment, sort of overlook and dismiss and to somehow lose sight of virtually all of God's blessings. We lose sight of his mercies. We lose sight of his goodness. We lose sight of his grace. So what does Paul say? The Spirit of God's going to help us with that struggle. He's going to always help us to give thanks for all things. In the ordinary things of life and the extraordinary things of life. He's going to help us in remembering that God is worthy of our thankful praise. Not just on Sundays, but rainy Mondays. They always get us down. He's going to remind us to be thankful for physical blessings, for spiritual blessings. Blessings from our past, looking back to where we've been, thinking about what used to be and God's faithfulness, looking to the present, where God is working now, what he's already handed, provided to us, afforded to us, where he is right now. He's right here with us. And what about the future? Looking for what he has promised that's yet to come. I was in one of those moments where I was struggling and on the verge of serious murmuring problem. You ever had a murmuring problem? Where you, I'm not talking about a heart murmur now. I'm talking about, that's a physical problem. I'm talking about having a spirit in which you're ready to start complaining. It happened to be earlier this week, I went to the DMV to renew my driver's license, which is expiring, uh, coming up soon. And so I went in there, I had brought something to read. I'm aware that there's usually a wait associated with that, a reasonable amount of time. And I went to the smaller one thinking, well, I won't, the wait won't be as long. And I had to get in one line, stood up there for an hour, stood, waiting just to get a ticket to tell me which line to go to. So I was an hour in that line, verified I had all the information. And then I sat down, waited for my ticket to be called, which puts me at the bottom of the list of everybody else who's sitting there now. So I waited another hour, Got my number called, came to the counter. That person looked at my eyes and verified this, that, whatever, and looked at paperwork, stamped. Okay, here's a ticket. Go wait, and now you have to pay somewhere else. So I waited for another line to pay. Do I sound like I'm complaining? I guess I do. Anyway, so at that moment, guess what's on my mind? I'm in a battle because I know what? I'm preaching on this text this coming week, and the Spirit of God is saying, hey, are you going to sit here and complain the whole time? Aren't there things you ought to be thankful for? And I had with me my passport. They have these new enhanced uh, driver's licenses. And so I'm looking at my passport and I realized, I started realizing where all I've been and traveling internationally before. It brought me back to thinking about amazing trips that I've been on. It somehow just fading in the background. And God was using this to try to show me what? If I'm going to live a spirit-filled life, I've got to be able to have eyes to see that there are blessings all around me all the time. 
That's not an easy thing you do. It doesn't happen automatically, I don't think. Matter of fact, one thing that God has helped, had to show me is that I have to work to say every day you should be writing down. This is a journal that I've started, a praise journal. In everything, give thanks, it says on here. And so I'm writing down every day some measure of blessing that God, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. Part of submitting to the Spirit's leading for you may mean to sit down and read Psalm 103. And if you don't find something in that, in that psalm to thank God for, you need to keep reading it and read it again and read it again till the point where you can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you for all of the things that my soul needs to take to heart, all of your benefits that you offer to me. Sometimes it takes a little bit of priming the pump of our heart to get it off of the things that we're focused on that are so causing us to be so put in a foul frame of mind that we would ask the Holy Spirit, would you tune my heart to sing your praise? Well, the third one here in this text is he mentions the third outward fruit of the Spirit-controlled living. This is sort of a hard thing to understand in some ways. I don't have time to unpack it fully here, but mutual submission in human relationships according to God's prescribed pattern. According to the pattern that God has prescribed. This is interesting because the Holy Spirit, as you read through this text, he's going to remind us that God's people are to properly express our yielded hearts to him by submitting to this idea of the prescribed patterns of structure, authority structure that God has set forth in relationships. So he uses parents and children, uh, husbands and wives, and your employer and the employees. And so it goes through, the text keeps going, by the way, down through verse 9 of chapter 6. Those are all linked together grammatically. The point here is what? Those who are delegated authority by God, if you're in a position in which you are uh, overseeing other people or you're uh, helping to care for them or you're responsible in some ways for leading them, that you should do so not in abusing the authority that God has delegated to you. Because why? Because all authority comes from God and you're accountable to him. So don't misuse that authority. Don't be abusive. Don't be selfishly harsh with other people who are under you. And those of us who are in positions of subjection, we are to show respect to those who are over us in the Lord, to obey them, knowing that their authority, the person that God has put over us, is the person that God indeed has done it for a purpose, and it's their authority has been delegated to them by God. And we're just called to submit to the Lord. Now, is that person that we're called to submit to, do I have to wait till they become a perfect person? No. Uh, there's no such thing as a perfect husband, parent, or boss. They're not always going to use the best judgment. But, but yielding to God's prescribed pattern in human relationships means that we avoid the dangers of an over-abuse of that authority on the one hand. On the other hand, it means that we're not going to live life as if I'm in control of everything. It reminds us that we have to yield ourselves ultimately to God, who is he's the one who's king and Lord over all. And spirit-filled living in this idea of these relationships reminds us that what? You and I are not the king of the world. We are not the people who are 
we, we want to be in control, but we're not the cosmic kings and the cosmic queens of the world. God is, and he has put certain things and certain people over us, and we must learn to submit to that and know that there is a good reason, good purpose for all of those things in our lives. Does that mean that we must submit to all things that are, when we're encouraged to do evil things or we're being told to uh, command to sin or commit a crime? No. Ultimately, at that point, you yield to God's authority and say, no, I must do what God has me to do here. And that clearly is outside of the parameters of what God's delegated authority is for that person. Now, what am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is that the Spirit of God is going to be working in us in such a way in which we begin to try to stop worshiping ourselves, uh, trying to get us to see that there are many reasons that we ought to be thanking the Lord and that there are many reasons which we are realizing that we're not in control of everything. He wants us to realize that he's in control of everything. And therefore, the Spirit of God is trying to reach our hearts to have them become humble, submissive, and open to the Lord so that we might make much of Christ. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for the wondrous ways that you work in our hearts. We thank you that you have power to impart new life. You have life-giving power to change us from the inside out, to take a heart of stone that doesn't care anything about Christ and to make it into a heart of flesh that loves and makes much of Christ and celebrates Christ and loves to obey Christ and has a zeal for Christ. So, Holy Spirit, would you have your way here among us today? Would you give encouragement to those who are weary, to those who have lost sight of all that Christ has done for us in the gospel. For those of us who have lost sight of, of your goodness and grace and mercy in Christ, Lord, would you show us again? Would you remind us of what you have yet to do based on what you've done in the past? And I pray, Lord, for those of us who are in situations where we're not thankful We've become rather easily prone to complain. And we don't have much melody in our hearts when we worship. We're just going through the motions. Lord, would you show us again and use your spirit to melt our hardened hearts, to forgive us of our pride, and to help us see the glories and the wonders and the beauty of Jesus Christ afresh and anew. And I pray that you would help us to be totally satisfied in Christ as we trust in him. We pray in his name. Amen.